In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly King, Paraclete, Spirit of Truth, you who are everywhere present and fill all things, treasury of all that is good, master of life, come, dwell within us, cleanse us from all stain, and save our souls, O good one. Mary, cause of our joy, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, Spirit, Amen. Today, we're going to start um, looking at chapter 7. Uh, chapter 7 uh, is about the Feast of Sukkoth. I'm going to try to explain that. Uh, and it's the longest single location block in John. It goes from uh, 7 1 to 10:21. And so for John, this is the key feast. This is the turning point feast for his explanation, for his theology um, in many, many different ways. Then it ends from 22 down to the end of 10 is on the feast of the dedication where Jesus is receiving the dedication to be the altar of the sacrifice. Uh, what we have here is this Feast of Sukkot, uh, booths. Before I start that, though, I want to dedicate this first section to reflecting on liturgy. The roots of our liturgical practice are basically Jewish, because they're basically biblical. Only in the Bible is time important? That is, as a dimension of religious life. You see, we could take some examples. We measure the month, the week, the, year, the, the week, the day, and the year, not the week. The month, the day, and the year by the movement of the planets and the sun and the way that the earth turns on its own axis. However, Shabbat, as I've said before, Sabbath, is not measured by any of those. It's measured by the Word of God. The Word of God says, make the seventh day holy. And that divides up the week. Now, people have been sensitive to that. For instance, in the French Revolution, they tried to uh, change that, make it every tenth day. Well, people were less enthused about the metric system than they were about having every seventh day off. So it didn't last. But it was an attempt to obliterate the notion, you see, that uh, time as such is important. It's not, you see. Now, all other religions except biblical religion observe feast days, of course. But they're all calculated in terms of getting in touch with and directing the laws of this cosmos. Whether it be Eastern meditation or feast days. Nowhere else do we have this notion that time is important. And what God has done in time, and that's what makes it important, is to be remembered and lived by. And that's the foundation for liturgy. You see, it's it's 
not only commemorating, is reliving uh, the, re- the actions of God in history. For instance, Easter is the feast of the Passover. When Jesus dies and rises as Passover. Pentecost is the feast of Shavuot. And we maybe had a feast of Sukkot, the one we're doing here, uh, but it didn't last for other reasons. Too complex to go into right now, I think. My point is, you see, that um, when God acts in history, there is something that happens. There is a momentum, to use von Balthasar's word, something happens. So to commemorate that event is to make it present in memory. That's liturgy. Do this in memory of me. The word that they use among the liturgists is anamnesis, a recall. Do this in memory. He's anamnesinemo. And so you see, it's very important to grasp this notion. We celebrate uh, Washington's birthday, Lincoln's birthday, Martin Luther King's birthday, and rightly so. They are outstanding men who have left their impact mostly for good on the country. But they're not God's act in history. They're a date that we've agreed upon to stop and remember them. But it's not liturgy. Liturgy requires that the act of God be somehow present. That's biblical liturgy. And so you see, uh, we have Sabbath, which is the fulfillment of creation, and then all the other feasts are acts of God. Exodus, you know, Passover, um, and then Pentecost, this one, uh, Shavuot, uh, Booths, you see, uh, which is this one rather than what I just said. Um, This is called Sukkot. Um, Sukkot commemorates God's care for his people in the desert. So it's a global kind of feast. But it's very important for us to realize, you see, that time for us is the dimension of God's revelation. We're not just a cosmic religion. And everybody else is, if they're anything. Transcendental meditation and all that has nothing to do with time. It's getting you out of the bondage of time. To be in sympathy with the law and movements of the cosmos. So you see, for all these people and their groups, they are in time. For us, time is in the church. Time belongs to us. Not because we're so great but because our, our Lord is great. And the, the law, the economy of the incarnation has always been to, to remember in the deepest sense of the term what God has done. And therefore, it's always a community feast. It's not an individual meditation. We have those, but even those are mysteries, right? Look at the mysteries of the rosary. They're all actions in history except the last two, which are actions in outside of it, on the, on the edge of history, the Assumption and the Crowning of Our Lady. But all the others are God's acts in history. 
This is very important for us to understand, especially to understand John's gospel. Because you see, what he has just shown us is how Jesus fulfills Pesach by multiplying the loaves and declaring himself the new Moses. That will be fulfilled, as I said before, you see, uh, finally, when we all pass over. But between now and then, every Eucharistic liturgy, you see, is a Passover. It's a commemoration. But not a commemoration, as I say, of our na- as, as they offer our national holiday. You see, it's important to grasp this. I know I'm insisting on it, but it's very important. What's the difference between the way the mall celebrates Christmas and the way the Christians celebrate Christmas? Well, the mall is a jolly big fat fellow and they're very glad to have them around because they're going to make great sales and there'll be lots of food and wine consumed. It'll be very nice. But the heart of it is not the birth of Jesus Christ in time. Now, it was placed probably where it is uh, because it was replacing a cosmic feast, the Sol Invictus, the unconquered sun. 21st of December is the shortest day, and from then on, days get longer. The sun is regaining its uh, power. And at that point, we put this historical feast, the sun, the sun of justice, came from the womb of the Virgin Mary and entered our time. It's already been time for nine months, now he enters it in a new way. And we replace the, the uh, commemoration of the soul Invictus with the memory of the birth of Emmanuel, God among us. And so John, in a particular way, is sensitive to this in a way uh, more profound and extended than uh, the other Gospels. It's a backbone. As I said before, you see, now... Uh, starting with this second Passover, the beginning of chapter 6, all the way down to the end of chapter 10, is uh, one block of feasts. Basically, Passover, Sukkoth, and uh, the dedication. So this is, for us, very important. Because, you see, we... We don't go to Mass to commemorate how nice Jesus is or how nicely he did. We go to Mass to enter into the act which is present there. And when we deal with the Eucharist, present in a unique way, present there, the the risen Christ, glorious with us, still bearing the marks of his passage among us. But it's time. As I say, so the church is not in time. Time is in the church. Perhaps the greatest theoretician of time is St. Augustine, who said, if you ask me what time it is, I can tell you. If you ask him what time is, I can't. But his point was, you see, for most thought, uh, time is a container and things are in time. No. Time is in them. You see? Uh, it's not especially when we're dealing with the church. You see, uh, time is with creation, not creation in time. And then that's caught up and sanctified 
by God's action in history. And God's action in history was, for the first millennium, basically, or at least recognizably, only in Israel. And their their vocation was to bring that vocation, that plan of God, to its fruition, and then share it with the whole world. And they knew that. But they thought that it meant teaching the whole world the Torah uh, until the Torah became incarnate, the Word of God became incarnate. So, when we look at these feasts, you see, uh, a lot, especially in this one, are are, uh, questions of discourse, as we're going to see. The two themes of Sukkot are water and light. They are the two big themes. And uh, uh, if you study, if you ever get a chance, you want to, look at the, uh, the Mishnah and the prescriptions for this feast. They're quite, quite minute, but they tell stories at the same time. How the great sages would juggle their torches, you know. And they have a saying, He who has not known the joy of Sukkot has not known joy. It was a day. Now, so there were big candles. I mean, they were like, I don't know how big around they had to be, but they had to be, they were tall. Young men had to climb up on ladders to light them, and they were huge around. Um, and they were, the that was the Feast of Light. Every day, the priest went down to the pool of Suluam, gathered water in a silver vase, big one, carried it back and poured it out. That was part of the remembering of the water miracle all throughout the desert, but also a memory of uh, and a prayer for uh, rain, because this is the fall. So to this day, the, the Arabs, especially the Muslims, because the other Arabs are Christian, the Muslims wait to see if it's going to rain during Sukkot. Then it's a good sign for everybody.